to the body and that I'm not always the only one up here speaking and sharing it, that we get different gifts in use and, and we learn that way from different perspectives. And you're going to see that um, a little more intentional over the next few weeks. You've seen it peppered in this fall with David Sanford being here and um, I know Joseph shared and there was maybe one or two others that shared. I'm forgetting right now. But um, we got Mark Seckler who's going to come this morning. Um, Pastor Michael is not here. He's in Roanoke this morning um, because our New Life Church in Roanoke um, their pastor is leaving to plant a new church in Richmond, Virginia, so their associates being set in this morning as um, the new pastor, who should be here in a couple weeks, but he had to cancel because now all of a sudden he got real busy. Um, but we'll get him here, Pastor Chris, later, but we wanted to send at least someone there to kind of be in support. So that's where Michael and Cynthia are this morning. But he'll be up next week um, just sharing more about his testimony um, as God has healed him of cancer and, and that whole situation. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly with that. I think uh, you'll be quite inspired um, that in a month I will share. Then, then uh, Stephen Hunter's going to share um, about financial um, formation. And then from there, we'll see. We'll see where the Lord leads and, and go from there. But for today, we have Mark, teacher Mark, in a lot of ways. Um, when Mark speaks, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a great teaching. So come on up, Mark. Are you on there? Is it going to work? Can you hear it? Great. All right. Thank you all for coming today. It's a blessing, really. And uh, if I can just uh, recognize my wife, Jane, my dear wife, and my daughter, Susanna, and her husband-to-be, Sam, Sam Sutton, and our dear friend, Grady Kidd. Thank you for coming. Yes. This is great. I hope this is going to be a continuation of our worship of the goodness and greatness of God. I just hear a lot of that today in the songs and in, the, uh, in all of our worship and just to give praise to him. And I think this, this ties in really well, uh, Psalm 145. And uh, let's pray just to start. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you that many have gone before us and have preserved that word and we can just open it up freely in this country and read it and study it and just learn more about you. Lord, thank you so much that uh, we can do that even. Lord, I just ask for your presence to be here uh, while I'm speaking and just guide me and just uh, give words that uh, people will hear and just apply in their lives. Lord, and thank you so much for just this opportunity and for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, in the last uh, few Wednesdays, I've been uh, teaching some on the let us statements that are in Hebrews. There's like 12 let us statements, and one of them is let us praise. And that's in Hebrews 13. And we learn from that particular one that uh, David, even in his dire circumstances, you know, like the circumstances that we just prayed for, that we should and could praise the Lord in those circumstances. And we can look at David, King David's example of that. He was, uh, at one time, y'all will remember this story, he was a fugitive in his own country, basically. Uh, King Saul was after him to kill him. And so he was desperate. 
and he had to leave his own country and his familiar surroundings, and, uh, and he went to the court of a Gentile king then, he, uh, this fellow named Abimelech, and just to seek refuge because he couldn't get refuge in his own country. But the king expected him of being an enemy, which he ought to have. Uh, so in order to save his life, David pretended that he was crazy. You remember that. He, uh, he, he walked up to the gate and he was babbling and mumbling and slobbering and all that and uh, just really demeaning himself uh, and scratching on the door. And so in that situation, that desperate situation, David, the Bible says in Psalm 34, says, uh, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, that's how the psalm is uh, started, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So right there in that terrible situation, David, with his life hanging in the balance and the shame of making himself be crazy, basically, he's praising the Lord. So I think that's a good lesson for us. And also, just a little bit closer, uh, my wife and some others in this uh, fellowship have been ministering in the jail recently, and they get the privilege of speaking to uh, some Christian ladies, even, uh, or, or ladies that have recently come to the Lord, and they pray there in the prison, and just when you think of it, their situation in the prison is not good. You know, there's a lot of things going on there, but this lady, when she was uh, praying, she was just rejoicing and giving thanks to the Lord in that situation. There she was in the jail. You know, she, she looked beyond her circumstance and gave praise to God. So this morning we're going to look at the scripture on praise by David in Psalm 145. And the way I'm going to do it is sort of go through each, li each line and say a little bit about each line. There's 21 verses. It's the last psalm in the Bible that is ascribed to David, uh, Psalm 145, and it introduces the first, I mean, the last five um, great hallelujah uh, psalms. I mean, if you read those, they're just full of praise, you know, to God. But this one is the last one ascribed to David, and it's what's called an acrostic uh, psalm or poem, and I had to look that up. I didn't know what an acrostic was. And what it is is that each verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, they left out one of them. There's lots of stories about why they left that out. But So there's only 21 verses. Um, so um, they, uh, when, when the... Poets, which David was obviously a poet, he was very good at it, he was very skilled, and you can tell just as we go through this psalm how it's very well organized and uh, was done really by a pro, I'd say, but um, they were done, these acrostic poems were done for two reasons, basically, is to help you memorize things. If you have something 
that's got starts with A, you know, our children, we taught them scripture memory verses by using the Bible, you know, and the letters of the alphabet, A, all we like sheep have gone astray, and B, uh, but I keep thinking of, but the wages of sin is death, but, uh, but, it's, uh, but it's another one, right? Yeah, he was, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Anyway, that's how you memorize these particular psalms, and you'll see why they did that uh, in a little bit. And then also, of course, uh, when you use the alphabet, you are magnifying God from A to Z, from alpha to omega in the Greek, and in the Hebrew, it's alif to tav. So that's... You might not be able to use every word in the English language to praise God, but if you use every letter of the alphabet, that encompasses all words, right? So all words are worth praising God. And there's, this isn't the only psalm. There's uh, several in the Bible, in uh, Psalm 119 in particular, that is like this. It has letters of the alphabet to help in memorization. So it has a very special... Uh, do any of you have a, uh, a, a um, psalm that you like the most? Amen, that's a good one. Yes. I like, you know, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I learned that in Sunday school, you know, so I remember that one. Psalm 19. Psalm 8. What's part of that? Amen. So these, all of them are good. Well, it turns out uh, that in Jewish practice, um, and any chance I get, I say something about the Jews and Israel because I love them, and because the, the Bible is basically written by mostly Jews, for Jews, about a Jew, you know, Jesus. So, <laughs> so I really get into that. Um, so it, it happens that this psalm, 145, and I wouldn't have picked this psalm, but you know, Michael, uh, Pastor Michael, he read this psalm before his surgery, if you all remember, the whole thing. And I thought, oh, we must talk about this psalm. So in, it's said by Jewish people three times a day, twice in the morning service and once in the evening. And I said, wow. That's a lot. That's, so I called up, or I emailed my friend in, in uh, Israel. Uh, he's a Jewish fellow that made a, Aliyah. That means you go up or go to your home country or whatever. He took his whole family about four years ago and moved to Israel. He's an Orthodox Jew, and we just have a bond together, and I've been praying for him for many years. I said, do y'all really say this three times a day? And he said, yes. So uh, I'll speak a little more about that when we come to the particular verse that he really likes. And you can imagine, if you say something three times a day, it's going to become part of you. I mean, it's going to get down deep three times. They add a couple of verses in the front and in the back, but it's all scripture. So the Talmud, which is the oral tradition of the Jews, um, they commend all who repeat Psalm 145 as um, having a share in the world to come. 
So that means if you say that three times a day, you're guaranteed eternity. <laughs> and I, well, I wish it was like that, you know, but that's what they say in their commentary. Okay. So it's a vital part of their faith. It's pretty obvious that it's a vital part. Now, just me looking at the Psalm 145, and we'll start on it shortly here. Uh, I see four stanzas. It's like three groups of four. You know, who, David, he was pretty clever in all this. And then there's the four G's, I'll call it. We can see that it emphasizes four G's. And that begins with God's greatness. We've been singing about that. His goodness, his grace, and finally his glory. So you might could say, I'm not a musician, but this psalm is written in G major. So, <laughs> so it's a G major. Then also there's four commitments to worship. Uh, we'll go over that. And there's individual worship. And there is multi-generational or, int or inter, um, intergenerational uh, corporate worship. And then there's individual and corporate worship. So there's different... You'll see that when we go through it. Uh, so in all these ways, in all the community of God, individuals and uh, corporately, we can praise God. And this psalm is perfect in demonstrating that. So we'll go first to uh, Psalm 145, verses 1 and 2. I will extol you, my God, the King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. So David, he's the king. I mean, he's, he's the man. And he is in, over all this area and territory now, the most powerful in the world at that time. And he recognizes and gives thanksgiving. This is, this is what's neat about this, this guy, is that he recognizes that he's below God that there is a king of all the universe, a king of the earth, and he's just the king of this nation here. So uh, there is some humility in that. And in fact, this is the only verse in the Bible that uh, says God the king. Because most of them it says God, O king, or my king, you know, personalize it, but this is the king. Indeed, he is the one who is in charge of all things, not only as creator, but as controller and consummator of Earth's history. Now, I, if you look in this verse, it says forever and ever. You know, that's everywhere in the scripture, forever and ever. That's a long time. Have you, have you ever wondered, you know, how long and how you can do something forever and ever? You know, I've, I've wondered about that, how you can do something without ceasing. Uh, there, there's other scriptures about that. And just to give you a little story, it's, it's sort of connected, sort of not. But I was in the airport uh, last spring and uh, waiting on my flight. Near the gate, I noticed there was a room across from the gate. And it was uh, like a chapel or a prayer room, you know. So I went in that. And it was quiet in there, you know, compared to the airport. And got out my book and was reading it. You know, while I'm meditating and praying and reading, you know, you got a couple of Muslim guys come in. And it was obvious they had accommodated 
for Muslims also, uh, because you know there was this compass on the ceiling showing them which way was east, and they had the little um, towels or whatever that you lay on the floor, and so they got out. They were doing their five times a day prayer, you know, and this was one of them, and they were very, they're all very diligent at that. And I was thinking, you know, Lord, you know, I was starting to whine then, you know, I was saying, you know, if us Christians would, do, would be as diligent about praying as these guys, um, you know, it, it'd be a better place, you know, if, if people would take it seriously like them. Now, now their prayers are very rote, you know, there's certain things that they have to say. It's not really a heartfelt thing. Oh, you know, God, we love you, that kind of thing. But still, they're doing it. You know, they're doing it. So I was sort of whining. You know, I shouldn't have been doing that. So I get on the plane, and on that same flight coming back, uh, one of the guys in uniform, I, I don't know if he was the pilot or if he was an attendant or what, but he started talking to me, and... Um, he noticed I was reading this Christian book thing, you know, and so he starts talking about himself, and, and, he, and he says, um, you know, I've got, and I don't know how, I can't remember how it got to it, you know, I, I have this ring that I wear, and it's got, I mean, the guy has a degree in theology, now why he's doing there being a flight attendant, I don't know, but, and he, and he says, on my ring is engraved 1 Thessalonians 5.17 <laughs> in Greek. And, I, and you know what that says? It says, pray without ceasing. And I was saying, <laughs> God, man, you just, you just told me that by the Spirit we can pray without ceasing, not five times a day. We, we can beat the Muslims by praying five times, uh, that pray five times a day, we can pray without ceasing. And then I just noticed the next verse is, do not quench the Spirit. So I think it's the Spirit of God that enables us to pray without ceasing, to rejoice evermore, to give thanks in all things. That's how we can do it, if we don't quench the Spirit. So that's just a little story about forever and evermore. Uh, verses uh, 3. Here is the first G. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. All right. Uh, I remember a common prayer. You guys uh, may remember that as growing up. Uh, that sometimes we would say at dinner, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Yeah. You know, that's like a, a miniature Psalm 145. I got to thinking about it. It really is because God is great and God is good. And later on, we'll see that he looks after us. You know, the Muslims, and I don't know why I'm mentioning this uh, so much about uh, Muslim and uh, Islam religion. They proclaim before they even destroy themselves in suicide, they say, Allahu Akbar. You know what that means? God is great. Well, at least they got that right, you know, even as they're destroying themselves. But that's what that means. God is great. Verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So this verse shows that 
Praise and worship should be part of every generation. And I'm thinking when I think of that is the Jewish tradition, uh, especially that's shown in Deuteronomy, uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter, chapter 6, verses 7, where it talks about we are to uh, train up our children and to speak of them in the way while you're walking, while you're talking, in everything you do, as you rise up, as you lay down, in everything, in every generation, we, uh, we should pass that down. So we should pass down how to praise God and how to worship him to our generation, to the, one, the little ones beneath us. And there's a difference, though, between teaching, like I'm standing up here and teaching. You know, y'all probably forget what I say as soon as you walk out the door, but if you're walking with somebody and doing it, they don't forget it, right? That's training. That's the difference between teaching and training. You need to have both. All right. We're going to have verse 5 and 6. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. So God, he is not only great because he's king over all things, but he's great due to his mighty and awesome acts, you know, things that we can't do, like part the Red Sea. That's probably what they were thinking of there when he delivered the Jews, the Israelites, from Egypt. Verse 7. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. So here's the second G, goodness. So God always acts in accordance with his essential goodness and he is always fair and just. And you'll see here uh, the word utter actually means gushes forth. <laughs> so there, we're just supposed to make a big deal about God, the memory of his great goodness. You know, Martin Luther said uh, in the last part of that verse, he said that uh, the devil, the devil hates theology and singing. When you put those two together, he really gets aggravated. So, <laughs> so um, when we have hymns that uh, have the scripture and theology in them, you know, the devil's going, you know, he's cringing. Verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. That's the third G. You know, there's lots of adjectives used to describe God, uh, his inherent goodness and graciousness and compassion, and other versions say uh, gracious and merciful. So those adjectives, they emphasize God's undeserved favor and tender compassionate heart with respect to our deep needs as man. That is what God's grace is. So even though mankind continues in its self-indulgent sins, 
God is patient because he does not wish for any to perish. Uh, in some of the translations, uh, some of the older translations, you'll see God, uh, these things describing God. Loving kindness is a big one. Loving kindness. And the English word for kindness is ultimately related to the primitive root from the, uh, the English word kin. So you've got kindness and kin. So in a sense, then, uh, in treating his people, God's people, he's treating us like kinfolk, like kin. He's looking at us as children, and he has a loyal love in his great faithfulness. There's, there's a warmth there. See, his tender mercies, there's a warmth there like a father toward his children. You know, sometimes uh, you hear people say, uh, well, thank goodness and uh, me, uh, you know, I think, well, that's not really theologically sound doctrine, <laughs> uh, thanking goodness. But in a way, you know, we should thank and praise God because he is good. Verse 10. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. So this shows uh, the praise and worship to God from a corporate, that's everyone, all your works. Some of the other translations say everyone shall praise you. So that's, and then in the next part, um, it's us, your saints, the faithful. We're praising him. Verses 11 and 13. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. So when you have kingdom, you got kingdom there three or four times. Kingdoms have kings. He's sovereign over the earth. And that's the fourth G is his sovereignty. It's interesting in uh, verses 11, 12, and 13. Let's see, do you have 13 up there? Did I leave that out? Yeah, let's say this. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So if you take those three verses, the acrostic letters, remember the letters that are in the front, if you spell them backward, it, it, in English it's MLK, and that's MLK in... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's, it stands actually for king, for king in the uh, in the scripture. So I think that was done purposely. David stuck that in there to see if we could figure it out. So when the job of a king, and especially in the in the uh, Middle East or in the Near East, the role of the king was to provide a safe place and a habitation. Uh, for humanity, and it included providing for his subjects a dwelling place, safety, peace, drinking water, abundant harvests, lots of animals, fertility. Boy, the king, he was in charge of providing a lot of stuff. And you, I, as I was reading through um, uh, about Joseph, uh, when he was in Egypt, the uh, pharaoh gave him a new name, and I won't even try to pronounce it, but his name translated meant the one who furnishes the sustenance of the land. 
So that's uh, the job of a prime minister or a king, which Joseph was pretty close to that. Verse 14. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. In this verse, we see sort of a transition back in all the other verses. We're talking about the rule and dominion and how God is great and good. But now he's, he's it's stepped down to his nurture and care for his people. And for those that are frail and needy, so we see God, who is above all, stepping down and ministering, actually, to us, his children. Verses 15 and 16, the eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So these verses portray God as a God of all living things, and he gives us with an open hand. When somebody has an open hand to you, that means you're willing to give, you know, to help them instead of what? The clenched fist. That's not what God is. He's not a, a clenched fist God. He is an open hand. Now, the last, the first part of that verse reminds me of our cats, actually, our kittens, if you show the next Say that the eyes of all are looking expectantly for the open hand of their master. So that, I took that picture this morning. They were all waiting to be fed. So that's just like God. They're looking, they're, they're looking expectantly. You know, that's the way we should be. We should be looking up to God. Lord, thank you for our food. So verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. So in everything that God does, he is just and he is kind. Verses 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth, and he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. So this verse becomes a little more specific and it speaks to us who are faithful. I'm assuming it might be a big assumption that everyone here knows the Lord. And um, to, we're the, those that are faithful and we're those that fear him. Now this particular verse, my, my Orthodox Jewish friend who says these verses three times a day, in fact, the last two weeks over, during Yom Kippur, and um, Rosh Hashanah, they say it four times a day. So, and we're getting ready, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you all know the feast that's starting tomorrow? Yes. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, right, or Sukkot, you know, Sukkot. And that is a, just to throw this in, they're celebrating the presence of God. You know, we, the Jewish people celebrate the presence of God by building these little booths and tabernacles because they're remembering, you know, back when they were delivered from Egypt. But we can celebrate the presence of God right here and now because he's with us. So here, I'm just going to quote this um, uh, from an email. It's a sentence or two from my friend Robert. And he says, this, 
and how this psalm is very special to him, Asherah, which is the prayers, as a, it's actually, that's what they say three times a day is Asherah, and this is part of it. It's very special to me personally. There is a verse that states that God is close to all who call on him sincerely. That's verse 18. That is certainly true. Anything I requested while reciting this verse, he has provided me. Not like asking to win the lottery, because that isn't sincere truth. The verse implies we have nothing other than what he provides. We are utterly dependent on him. Now, this is from a Jewish fella that doesn't even know Jesus, and I, I have point blank told him about Jesus multiple times, but there's a veil. You know, there's this veil that God has put over his face. He doesn't see it. You know, he's waiting for the Messiah, but the Messiah's already come. You know, I tell him, he's already come. You know. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it's interesting when he writes in his emails, when he writes God, it's G-D because he, he cannot speak the name. You know, he can't write the name. And so he does a little dash. And when I answer him back, you know, I'll do it also just in deference to him, you know, in honor to him. He, he won't say God and he won't write God because it's like an idol or making an image or something like that. So I think that's interesting. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So this one, this one's a little bit different. You know, it's sort of a, a change up here. It's a reality check. Uh, the Lord preserves us who love him, but if you don't, you're asking for it. You know, but all the wicked he will destroy. And the final verse, verse 21, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. So in this verse we see that my mouth, that's my individual worship, I'm praising to God, and then also all flesh. So that's the corporate worship every living thing. So who do you think of when you think of these four G's? Great and good and gracious and glorious. Who, who is it in the Bible that, I th that you think of? Jesus. Right, so it comes as no surprise that those are the same qualities of Jesus. And indeed, um, Jesus Christ is declared to be the great God and Savior in, in Titus. And he's also the great shepherd. And he's the high priest. And he's the good shepherd. So he, Jesus, uh, is, his characteristics are all of these four Gs. Now, my Jewish friend doesn't see that. David, King David, didn't quite see that. He wasn't, didn't see... He, you know, he's Old Testament. He probably saw it as good as anybody back then. You know, he knew that there was a Savior coming. But we have the privilege of looking back. You know, we're on the other side of the cross, and we have Jesus. And also in John 1, 14, we beheld his glory. 
So there it is. Uh, he was, he's glorious. So just in summarizing and wrapping this up, I'd like to just read this uh, brief couple of sentences. It may be said that Psalm 145 is a magnificent hymn that reminds believers of all that God has provided for a believing mankind. As a song of praise and thanksgiving, it is indeed a psalm written in G major and one that should be very specially felt by every believer for it not only testifies to the greatness and goodness and grace and glory of God, but in light of the fuller New Testament revelation, it also reminds all believers that these spiritual riches are ours. Through Christ Jesus, in whom all four of these divine characteristics are manifested. So thank you for listening. I hope you got a little bit out of uh, this uh, day. Oh, there we go. <laughs> but uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for this time. Thank you for being able to open your word and to study it and to just see how good and great and, and uh, just glorious and gracious you are. Lord, let us go out this week with that in mind and having the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to exhibit that to all those that we meet. Jesus' name, amen.